Let's go. Welcome to Micromobility, a podcast exploring the disruptive potential of lightweight utility vehicles. Using the history of computing as a framework, we examine how these technologies will upend everything we thought we knew about the future of urban transport. The host of the show is Horace Deju, founder of Asimco.com, and I'm his co-host, Oliver Bruce. Hey there folks, just me, Oliver, here this week. Uh, Horace is in South Korea um, and will be actually coming down to New Zealand this week. Uh, we're going to be very excited to host him here for the ITS uh, NZ Conference TTEC 2019. Um, he'll be doing tours of New Zealand. Uh, we're going to be having him talk to ministers of transport and really sing the micromobility gospel. Um, hopefully take New Zealand to the next level in terms of micromobility adoption. Um, this week's show is going to be the Scooter CEO panel from the recent Micromobility Summit in California. Um, this is a panel that a lot of people have been asking us for, so we're really excited to finally be able to share it. We've got the CEOs of Grin, Skip, Spin, and Scoot up there with Corey Weinberg um, from the information. He did an excellent job. I'm sure you're really going to enjoy it. Um, so in the meantime, if anybody's interested or likes what they hear, by all means, go and check out um, micromobility.io. Um, that's where we're hosting the podcast now, but it's also the site uh, where you can buy tickets for the new Micromobility Europe, um, which is going to be happening in Berlin on the 1st of October. If you like this comment, uh, this commentary, you like this, uh, this, this panel, um, we're going to have more of that. Uh, and it's going to be really exciting. James and the team are doing an excellent job helping organize that, and we're really pumped about it. Anyhow, We'll leave you to the show, but looking forward to hearing from you. Please, as always, reach out to us on Twitter, Oliver Bruce, or at Asimco for Horace um, to let us know what you think. Cheers. All right, next up is a, a panel over the last four months that's seen acquisition, mergers, and unseating of the fastest growing company in transport and all sorts of other uh, things. At the front and center of all of that, the person I think that's done the best job reporting on it has been Corey Weinberg. So I want to invite Corey up to the stage along with the rest of the panelists. Thank you, Corey. Thanks. Thanks for the kind words, James. I'll just have all the scooter CEOs come up. Uh, I'll introduce them. Uh, first, we got Michael Keating, CEO of Scoot, Derek Coe, CEO of Spin, Sergio Romo, the CEO of Grow, a newly uh, merged Latin American company, and we have Sanjay Destor, the CEO of Skip. Um, this is a great event. Thanks so much for putting it on, James and Horace. Um, we'll dig into some of the questions that Alex brought up around uh, equity and the moral value of scooters. Uh, first, though, I just want to have each of these guys sort of introduce themselves briefly and tell people sort of just what they should know about you and, and your company and how it differentiates. So I'm Michael Keating. I founded Scoot back in 2012. We were actually the first company to take a little electric vehicle, connect it up to the internet, park it on the street, and let our customers find it, turn it on with an app, and then ride it to wherever they want to go and leave it. And we we, we were, got into this business so early for kind of a weird reason, which is that I spent some time in graduate school for city planning. 
And if you, if you go to graduate school for city planning, one of the most important things you learn is that cars have really kind of taken over from mass transit in a lot of cities, and that that has created a bunch of problems. Cars are amazing, as Alex was saying, but in cities they create a lot of issues. And so one of the things that I took away from that personally was, well, if cars kind of beat mass transit in a lot of cities, what would beat the car? in a city? Is there anything that we could give to people that would be better than driving or better than taking a taxi? And so I went looking for that. And I think if you saw Horace's talk earlier, um, where Scoot lines up in, um, in terms of sort of our ability to substitute for car trips is kind of a nice validation of what we went out to solve. So today, Scoot operates in San Francisco, Barcelona, and Santiago, Chile. We operate electric motorbikes, which was the product that we launched with initially. We added electric bicycles last year, and more recently added the electric kick scooters, which are obviously the subject of this panel. And just on a personal note, having been in this business for quite a while, it is really, really exciting to see all these people in this room. We really believe at Scoot that we're building what is going to amount to kind of the subway systems of 21st century cities. That's how big an opportunity this is, and it's an opportunity that demands the kind of talent and participation and ambition that I see in the room, and I just think that's awesome. So super happy to be here. Derek? Well, thanks for having me. Uh, so I'm Derek, CEO and co-founder of Spin. So we started this company back in 2016 really with one objective, which is to get cars off the road. Um, more recently, we've uh, joined Ford and... Uh, we plan to deploy our micro-mobility solutions in over 100 cities uh, in about a year. So I'll keep it short. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm Sergio. I am the co-founder and CEO of Grow. Uh, Grow is the result of a merger from green scooters and yellow uh, bikes. Uh, so we are a, a shared mobility platform for, for bikes and scooters and probably some other vehicles soon. Uh, hi, I'm Sanjay Dastur. I'm the co-founder of Skip. Um, I started working on this with my previous company called Boosted that made the first uh, transportation grade very small vehicle back in 2012. Uh, if you've seen those electric skateboards running around uh, your cities, that was uh, a very difficult uh, vehicle to build at that reliability level at the time, and it's great to see how that's changed uh, more recently. So we're operating right now in San Francisco and Washington, D.C. We've taken a regulatory-friendly uh, approach with the cities, um, and we've been focused a lot on vehicle reliability and system reliability. Great. Awesome. So I'd love to first kind of um, go down the line and try to understand what each of your enduring advantage is or what you see as what will give you a leg up. Because I'll be honest, I and a lot of people I talk to always struggle to kind of understand, OK, why is this scooter company going to succeed more than this other scooter company? They basically all make their vehicles from the same companies. None of them have as much money as Bird or Lime or Uber or Lyft. Um, so why, should, why do you think each of your companies will have sort of an advantage um, over the competition and over the long haul? So coming back to that sort of having studied city planning, cities don't change that fast, and we see this as a very long game. So if you're trying to transform urban mobility, this is a big project, and it's not a question of you know, who raises a ton of money right now, and in the next two years, is sort of the whole game, this whole, whole problem is solved. So, We've taken a pretty selective approach to how we've grown. So we've, we're only in three cities, and we're in three of the world's greatest 
most precedent-setting, highest potential cities for this type of multimodal shared electric mobility. So San Francisco, Barcelona, and Santiago, Chile are the regional precedent setters for this kind of transportation. And so rather than trying to kind of cover the whole map and, um, and you know, kind of go big or go home, we're, we're being very strategic about how we're growing and we're intending to be in this game uh, for the long haul. And I think it's amazing how competitive this space has gotten over the last year, so I don't want to dismiss that. But we, um, we're, we're basically running this at a very different uh, pace. We're definitely taking kind of the marathon approach. Uh, so from our perspective, we don't think of ourselves as a scooter company. We are a micromobility company backed by one of the world's largest manufacturers in the form of Ford. Um, when we think about it, um, really the success to us looks like how do we extend micromobility to all demographics, people of different ages, people of different backgrounds, people in different communities, and what are the necessary form factors that we have to introduce and the evolution of the, uh, even the scooter itself. So when we look at it, um, it's about not so much about capital right now, but how quickly can we expand our offering and, and really provide services to, to a lot of different people, and that's really how to make the business model work here. Um, we think ourselves as uh, having, if we talk about advantages, we have taken an extremely relatively first approach. We, have, we are doing it at scale, unlike some other competitors uh, on the market right now. Um, and on top of that, we're now augmented by well, Ford's relationships with cities and manufacturing capabilities of over 100, that has been developed over 100 years. What, what does a regulatory first approach mean? I hear a lot of companies throw that out. Everyone kind of says they're working with cities, but what does that actually mean to you, Derek? Yeah, I think it's, it's about being, well, let's talk about just being honest first, right? Um, it's about not rogue launching, not creating a pledge and then kind of retracting from it. It's really about, do you have the cities and communities' uh, interests in mind first. It's about working with them to figure out the right kind of solutions for their cities and work alongside with them. They are, cities are new at this. They are, they are being very minimal at, at, at creating new regulations at record speed. So it's up to us as, a as, as an industry to work with them, to guide them, uh, to create common sense regulations that make sense for everyone. And Sergio, you're obviously one differentiator for Grow is geography. You're focusing on largely Latin America right now. Um, is there anything else that makes you guys specifically unique or would give you an enduring advantage that you think you've cracked? So geography is one, for sure. Um, the other thing is that we also have a lot of capital for a region. You know, We have more capital than those companies that you mentioned. For a region, we have more money. So capital is not uh, something that really concerns us about competition. The other thing that um, I think is very strong in us is the team. We have local teams, and we have our founding teams in each country is people that wanted to do this first. They lived in those neighborhoods. They lived in those cities. And having them as part of our team is, is huge um, because they were motivated from the start when we were small. Um, so I think that's, that's a very strong uh, factor. Um, well, those two, I, I feel very confident with. Sanjay? Uh, yeah, so um, our, my opinion on this is that the devices are nowhere near where they need to be for these systems to work correctly. Yeah. Um, and we're seeing a lot of people deploy devices that were made for personal use and are really lasting uh, not very long out on the street, um, which one is not economical, two is not sustainable, 
three doesn't align with what cities are looking for or communities are looking for. And so there's a lot of work that has to happen on the device side, and it's a harder problem than a lot of people think it is. So we focus a lot of our effort on that and on turning um, some of the device engineering and the software and hardware integration into system reliability and ultimately better economics. It seems like there's a lot of low-hanging fruit when it comes to like hardware improvements. I think it's pretty well known, especially in this room, that the kind of first generation of scooters, uh, they break easily, they don't last that long on the street, their tires are fairly small, so they're less safe. What is the most important sort of hardware improvement that we're going to see in these vehicles, either for your business or for consumers, in the next you know, three to six months, or if that's too short of a time period, uh, that's fine. Yeah, there's a bunch of areas there. I mean, uh, I think a big one is safety for the riders, and some of that is mechanical design, some of that is uh, does the vehicle have any intelligence at all about whether it's safe or not before someone gets on it, or are you kind of relying on people to have a bad experience and then tag it in the app and say the brakes didn't work? Uh, things like that are, are not, not great right now. Uh, I think one element is the unit economics around repairing the vehicles and ensuring reliability and combating things like vandalism. Um, I think uh, making the form factor something that fits better into city infrastructure. So there's a bunch of areas that affect all the different stakeholders that the devices themselves what are you most on. Pick one. What are you most excited about? Uh, I'm excited about all of those. I, I think uh, the, the one for me, because I, I come from a robotics background, is also the intelligence on board the vehicles. They're, they're very um, not intelligent right now, and adding certain kinds of sensors and connectivity can change the experience, both from a safety perspective, but also from a rider perspective pretty significantly. Okay. Um, uh, yeah. I, I think that just the, the biggest investment that, that we can make with cities I mean, of course, there's a lot of features that the hardware can can have, but just more infrastructure, you know? Like, it's proven in, in, in some countries that with infrastructure, safety is there, you know? Like, you don't need helmets, you don't need... Like, bikes have been going around uh, the Netherlands for a long time, and, and it's just because they have great infrastructure and they have great policies around... Um, micromobility. Right, and well, that's something I hear across the board from companies is, you know, the kind of putting part of the onus on cities, which has been talked about in urban planning for a long time. You need more bike lanes, you need to make streets safer. But you know, oftentimes, scooter companies or companies are sort of putting vehicles out in the public right-of-way and then saying, well, cities, you're the one that needs to like, fix, your, fix your stuff right now. Um, so like, who's going to pay for those investments? Or how do you see that trajectory happening that would make your business, uh, businesses work better? Yeah, I think it's, it's twofold. So I think on the scooters company's front, uh, um, I guess uh, it's as an industry, it's as important from our perspective, um, trying to keep these devices in responsible areas. So for example, we have a beta of our lock two prototype that unlike some other um, players in the industry, we don't use combination off the shelf locks. We use, uh, we actually have a smart lock that can, uh, that can be attached to, um, let's say a bike rack and, and keep the scooters in order. Um, but I think on your point of infrastructure, I think infrastructure is extremely important. And it's not a topic that only has come up recently because of scooters. Um, bike advocates have been pushing for this for decades, and I think as an industry, it's up to us to support them and accelerate their efforts. Um, what I think from a uh, who pays for it standpoint, uh, cities really, I think as part of how they evolve, should figure out uh, methods to um, take capital um, potentially from us, whether it's a, a device tax or whatnot, um, 
but be able to be held accountable and be transparent about making sure that that money is put towards the right infrastructure and um, whether it's in the form of uh, green lanes, more um, parking areas, rather than going to fix or build more roads. Um, Michael, you, uh, Scoot is operating on three different continents, three different form factors of vehicles, right? Um, scooters, I think, took, the kick scooters, I think, took a lot of people by surprise. There was a lot of fast following in the industry. Um, where are you investing Scoot's money, time, energy? Is it in sort of your moped product, your e-bike e product, or your scooter product, or something we haven't seen yet? We, uh, we love all of our products. They all serve a kind of a... I'm a asking you to pick one. <laughs> all right. Then I'm going to talk about... Um, I'm going to talk about our bicycle, because that's actually... If I had to pick a favorite, if I could only ride one scoot for, uh, you know, for the rest of the week or something, I think I would ride our bicycle. Is that the, is that the consumer in you or the CEO in you, though? Uh, it's actually both. I like the experience as a rider a lot. I think it's, it's flexible. It's, it's pretty fast. It's, um, it gets me to where I want to go. It's fun to ride. Um, the moped is obviously the fastest and the most, most fun, but the, um, the bicycle is pretty close. And, actually, and the CEO in me cares about what that vehicle costs, how much it costs to maintain, how often people will ride it, and, what, um, and basically how quickly I can deploy them and how well they can be managed, what the cities think of them. So all those things come together. I, I love our electric bicycle. We have a new one that we're introducing. Actually, it'll, I think it'll launch in Santiago first in a few weeks. Okay. And um, that is uh, the one we're running in Barcelona has been great, but um, we made some significant steps forward. So I'm really excited about our electric bicycle product right now. On a scooter panel. How subversive. I love it. <laughs> no, sorry, uh, sorry, guys. Okay, but Derek and Sergio, you both have bikes in your fleets. I don't think it's going to be what you're spending most of your time on. Why scooters and not e-bikes? <laughs> I don't think it's an either or. It's about focus and then finding the right form factor that solves the right solution. I think e-bikes, they're a fantastic product. They definitely solve a, um, a certain use case, a certain journey that, that potentially scooters can solve either. And as I mentioned uh, right at the beginning, uh, at SPIN, we are really looking at what can we offer to cover the whole micro-mobility spectrum. And when, that in, when the conversation of e-bikes come up, it's definitely something that we're, we're very interested in. So I don't think it's an either or here. Right now, we see the extreme product market fit off scooters, and we are making sure that that evolves to the best possible form factor while looking at uh, the broader spectrum. But which vehicle form will you have most on the road this year? Scooters. Yeah. Sergio? It's the same came for us. And, and with Green, we were just doing scooters um, just because we wanted to focus on one and, and, and get really good at one. Now with Yellow, we, we bring a lot of uh, all of the power and knowledge that they have with bikes. I think bikes are great for cities, especially in Latin America, because um, it gives access to everyone. Like it, it, in, in Latin America, the scooter service is still very expensive. And um, what allows us is not only be friendlier with the cities by offering a solution that is uh, accessible to everyone, but also um, it's a cheaper alternative. And um, we're going to keep focusing on scooters. Uh, like it's, 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 it's what we have most. Uh, but I think bikes is, a, is still, not e-bikes, but regular bikes, it's still a very important component of our strategy to, 
to bring uh, micromobility to everyone. Um, Sanjay, you guys are pretty much pure scooter, but you used to, you know, you were atop a company that uh, focused on motorized skateboards, among other things. How do you think about form factor and what you're investing in this year uh, specifically? Yeah, so we're uh, we're just working on scooters right now. Uh, we've looked at some other form factors. Um, what is I, that? What, what like what form factors? Uh, lots of form factors. Um, <laughs> but I I think the thing that gets lost in all the popularity of this is that none of these business models are currently working. Yeah. And depreciation and maintenance and repair and safety are unsolved problems and are different problems, as Sergio said, that you have to focus on. Um, and even bike sharing, which is, I think, incredibly important, the vast majority of venture dollars that have flown into bike share have not ended happily. Um, and so I think it's really important to focus on getting the, the business models right. Um, and that's, that's where we're spending our time. So you've been beating, it seems like you've been beating that drum a little bit more publicly. Um, you know, that there's just a lot of work to be done on the business models. And despite that, people still are raising a lot of money, like, is there a mass delusion here, or <laughs> what is your diagnosis of the problem in the scooter industry right now? Um, I think there's been um, historically a lot of focus on top-line growth as a, a metric for success in any industry, and in scooters especially because of the product market fit and the fact that if you double the number of scooters on the road, you close to double your revenue, like that's a, a very rare thing to happen. Um, that and especially if you look at re relative to bikes and, and even electric bikes, revenue per vehicle can be much higher. So you end up with a lot of leverage on that. But the cost of the fleets that are on the road relative to the amount of money you need to sustain the fleet is just completely upside down right now um, for, for most, most places. And so I think that's um, an important thing to look at because if the vehicles don't work, if they're not reliable, if they're not maintained well, like that's hurting all of us. That's hurting, I think, a reason um, that all of us are here, which is how do you make these systems work sustainably? Michael, you, you've, raised, uh, you've raised money for Scoop, but you've generally avoided venture capital or, avoided, or raised some venture capital. Um, you're looking at me like you, like you can't talk about it. But anyway, you're, you're also are somewhat, you're also, you've been a company that has sort of endured over the years before kind of the dockless bike share scooter um, boom. And right now it seems like there's a lot of money going into this space. How are you thinking about long-term versus short-term goals as you're building Scoot? Obviously, the focus is on the long-term for us, and we want to align as much as we can with that. So we align our city relationships over the long-term. We try to have long-term relationships with our staff, and we look for investors that want to see the company grow over the long-term. So a lot of our cap table is actually strategics, um, you know, so, so big automotive companies Mahindra. and family offices. Mahindra is one of our lead investors. So we... We and they see this as a long-term opportunity. They're not necessarily trying to make sure we exit in a year or two so they can return capital to their LPs. We, um, we look for that kind of capital to, to align with our strategy. And I think that is, um, that's actually really appropriate for this space. And it kind of gets back to where Sanjay is coming from, which is in a digital business, um, top-line growth is great because you 
basically have no opportunity cost of, like, if I want to hook you up with a free account on my software service because you're a big deal with the information, like, it doesn't cost me anything. Whereas um, if I let somebody I take I couldn't a accept that. That's a gift. Okay, good. I'll keep that in mind. Yeah. Um, no free scoot rides. Yeah. The, if, but if I give you a free scoot ride, which I can't do, the, um, that's actually, there is an opportunity cost to that because somebody else might have ridden that scoot. And if you ride it and you, you know, drop it or something like that, then I've got to send somebody out to fix it. So in a physical business, there's um, the top line metric, which is the sort of VC community is so comfortable with, is a lot less important than things like, like the margin you're making on each ride, the profit from each vehicle, and, and creating something sustainable. Uh, right. And that's, we've taken that approach, and our investors appreciate that. And one theme I think I'm definitely watching really closely this year, I'm sure a lot of people are watching closely, is what's going to happen as this industry consolidates. Right now, I can't keep track of like, the number of scooter companies out there trying to raise money. Derek, you sold your company to Ford. Um, I, from my understanding, I remember at the time that you guys had an option to keep raising privately, um, got a good offer from Ford. I think it was reported in like the $80 million range, something like that. Why did, besides the money, which I'm sure is great, why did you sell to Ford? What strategic sort of thinking went into that? I think overall it's about alignment. So if you look at um, what Bill Ford, Jim Hackett, the, the, the leaders of Ford have, have said, like um, the future of Ford is it's not really about cars. And, and I think when, when Henry Ford first started the company, it was about providing affordable mobility and just so happened it happened to be in the form of cars back then. So they're really aligned uh, with our vision of like, well, we want to, we are a micromobility company. So um, we want to deal with light electric vehicles that are not cars. Um, there was really strong synergy there. There's a strong commitment um, from, from Ford to grow us and grow alongside with us. And uh, I think to me it, 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 and the team, it really helps uh, fulfill our goal at, at, at really transforming cities and moving people away from cars, ironically, to some, uh, some extent. Yeah, kind of ironically. What, what specific commitments have they made to you? Have they, how much you know, runway do you have inside of Ford? Like, how, what kind of assurances have they given you? They shut down another new mobility company that wasn't making money, Chariot, earlier this year. What, what's your kind of standing within Ford? How much rope do you got? Well, I mean, I, if you, I, I, you're talking about Chariot. Um, I think it was a product for a different time. Um, I think from our perspective, it's, uh, we view ourselves as a key part of the future of Ford. And I think just last week, Bill Ford came about talking about us specifically, seeing, talking about the fact that uh, scooters are just one evolution uh, um, of, uh, it's the first step in this, uh, in this evolution of light electric vehicles, um, the Model T, if you want to use that, that analogy. So there's definitely commitment because we know that, I mean, if you've been following the automotive industry worldwide, uh, we know that uh, consumer preference is shifting away from, from cars and uh, into all forms of different forms of transportation. Now, Sergio, you obviously uh, became the CEO very recently um, of a newly formed merged company, um, Grow, the merger of Brazil's Yellow and your former company, uh, Grin, from Mexico, or I guess current company. I don't know how you refer to this stuff. But um, why did you consolidate so early? That's fairly rare 
I think in all startups, um, for all startups to sort of have the merger of two companies that have both raised a fair amount of venture capital, um, are you trying to head off potential threats from other uh, companies? Did investors just want you to do this? What was the thinking? So I think we, we were very aware of what the situation, we're always aware of what the situation is. And we asked ourselves, what does it take for us to win, not in 2019, but in five or 10 years? Like, if we're gonna be, like, let's assume that nobody will ever buy us and we wanna win, what will it take us for us to win? And if it, if it, if it would have been an option in two years, why not do it today and assure that we can win? So everything that we do is to win. It's not to avoid to lose. And we think this is a move to win, and, and, and we all agree on that. And you put ego aside, you, you change names and stuff, and um, you end up with a very powerful play to, to at least have a shot at winning. And we believe we have that. Uh, Sanjay, you guys are still independent. Uh, do you think that'll, how long do you think that's gonna last? <laughs> I don't know, I, I, I had drinks with Sergio last night. Um, no. um, no, um, you could be the champion of all Americas. Yeah. Um, no, I, I, I think um, it's, a, it's a big market. And what we've seen is that um, in very competitive markets, especially in the US and probably in, in Europe as well, where there's capped uh, supply, um, there doesn't seem to be very competitive dynamics occurring in cities. Like there's just so much demand for these types of products that we're often working alongside companies that we might consider competitors because everyone's using all the products available to them. They care a lot about availability in ETA. And so um, our financial performance in a city often ends up being less dependent on competitive dynamics within that city than just being present, having vehicles on the road, making sure they're working well. Um, and so the, the market size, again, like the amount people are willing to spend on micromobility is so large that I think there's room for a lot of independent players there. Um, and the long-term dynamics in terms of, like you said, what are the enduring um, differences between the companies, that's still to play out. Um, but for now, we, we see a pretty strong independent path forward. Um, I wanna get a sense of sort of what the scope of your guys' ambition is in terms of going after cities that might open up this year. Because like uh, one thing I find really interesting about the kind of first full year of scooters, which was last year, is you still had like a half dozen of the densest, most walkable cities in North America that have no scooters on the ground. Um, so I'm thinking of like New York, Chicago, Philadelphia, Boston, Toronto, Montreal. If those cities open up, this year, how like what percentage of those are you going to go after, Sanjay, uh, if they have like an open permit process? Yeah, so uh, we have the best permit win rate in the industry. Um, we've done, a, I think, a great job of leading the way on that. We helped create the first permit program in the U.S. for electric scooter sharing um, a long, long time ago, a whole less than a year ago. Um, but uh, yeah, a lot of these cities have not decided how they want to do this, and they're going to take their time and try to get it right, and they're looking to other cities to see what, what methods and what frameworks work. Um, again, a key thing for us right now is like what cities um, and what frameworks actually work from an economics perspective and a business model perspective. I don't think this is a land grab, gold rush kind of situation. I don't think that's the way that this works. Um, what and cities so, don't work for you? So what, city, what city characteristics or regulatory frameworks 
uh, have you seen implemented that you don't want any part of? Um, it's not that we don't want a part of them. I think it just depends on when's the right time to go in and with what kind of vehicles and what kind of metrics those vehicles can hit in order to, uh, to work sustainably. So you have different wear and tear depending on the road conditions, depending on weather. You have different battery life depending on the average temperature. Um, uh, you have different you know, salt conditions or snow or ice conditions. Um, you could have different fees and regulatory structures around caps. Uh, requirements. Some cities require 24-7 operations, some prohibit it. So it's still very open right now. Um, but I think it'll It'll tend to converge over time, but right now it's still very different depending on the city. Um, one question that I think I'm trying to think a lot about, I'm, it's getting more pressed, is the question of are stand-up scooters, kick scooters, um, are they being ridden safely? What does the injury rate look like compared to other modes? And what should companies be doing about it? Um, Michael, you've now seen, you know, you've seen some trends going on for, I know you've only been operating kick scooters for a little bit in San Francisco, but you've been watching the industry. Um, should scooter companies be concerned about sort of uh, a lack of uh, care for safety of the riders? So we come at this from a, an unusual perspective, which is we've been running electric motorbikes in San Francisco for more than six years. And one of our electric motorbikes in SF can go 30 miles an hour, weighs a couple hundred pounds. You wear a helmet when you do that. And so we have at Scoot this very, very intense culture of safety. And we've delivered over 2 million rides. And I'm very happy to say that we've never had a fatality, which is actually not the case for some of the electric stand-on scooter companies. So there is a lot that a that a company can do to, um, to help riders ride safely, to make sure that their equipment is safe, um, to, uh, and then to, you know, to make to certain changes to their service that, um, that make it more likely that riders are going to ride safe. So I, one very small example on the kick scooter side. In San Francisco, we don't serve a lot of the hillier neighborhoods of the city. Um, we find that the kick scooter product that's available right now doesn't perform as well on hills as we hope the next generation will. And so that's just an example of how we, um, we just decide that you know, if you want to ride one of our kicks, you're mostly going to be doing it in the flatter parts of the city where it's safer to ride the vehicle. That, that said, the most dangerous thing about being on any one of these things is somebody else in a car. So I, I don't want to overplay the, um, the, the degree to which the hardware itself or the way it's being used by its rider is the, uh, you know, is the, the, the overwhelming cause or, or, or root cause of some of the injuries that have happened. It's um, being on the street in a small vehicle, and particularly in American cities that are so car-dominated, is, um, is a factor that is largely outside of the control of the scooter rider or the company that rented them the scooter. So um, whenever we're talking about safety of vehicles like this, we've got to come back to what is the fundamental condition that they're being operated under, which is car-dominated, at least in the US cities. Um, uh, anyone else want to say anything on safety? Yeah, I think it's a, a great point. It's not, we, we can't overlook the contribution of um, cars to what we, uh, all the fatalities that happen. I think they're, um, even, let's say, even on bikes, for example, that's a couple of weeks ago, uh, uh, I believe the San Jose mayor was hit by a car, and just the way the media portrayed it is like the, uh, the bike ran into the car, versus, well, the bike hit the, uh, the, the car hit the bike. So um, there's that aspect of it. I think as companies, well, something that we're focused on is we always ask ourselves, are we putting the safest, most durable product on the street? And that really is our uh, guiding light to, to improving safety. And I think from, uh, from other perspectives, we, uh, we also highly encourage uh, our 
riders to, to wear helmets, for example, just be as safe as you, you can on these scooters. And, and our goal really is to make people feel as safe at, uh, on any of our products in the same way they feel safe in a car. Um, and I also want to go back to one point that you brought up earlier about uh, regulation. Um, I think one dynamic that we'll start to see in 2019 is the caps uh, of number of operators in, the, in, in each city. Cities are starting to, to cap maybe three, four. We've seen some of that play out in, in uh, 2018, but 2019, we're going to see more of it. So you're going to see more caps. You're going to see more caps of number of operators. So that means you introduce a new game of regulatory capture. Right. You're going to see that, well, the companies that just can't get into a city early enough won't be able to get in probably for a meaningful period of time. So I think that's an interesting dynamic to watch in 2019. Are you going after the big cities, uh, Derek? Like, or are you focusing more on college campuses, smaller cities? We're going after all of them. After all of them. Uh, all right, I want to go, I want to list like a few problems or challenges in the life of a scooter CEO. And I want you to tell me from one to five, your level of worry, five being most worried, one, you don't care at all. Seasonality. Four. Three. One. <laughs> one. One. Why one? Uh, so coming coming back to the device side, um, you can't run your business cherry picking metrics from you know you can't have the the utilization in one city and the seasonality in the other and think that that's how the business is going to run you have to design the system which includes the hardware and the operating system for the vehicle to hit different seasonality targets depending on the cities you go into so for example the way we would think about launching in montreal might be very different the way we think about right. launching in miami all right well, we'll start with you this time so you don't get to hear everyone's answers sure. beforehand um vandalism scooters uh, are getting you're, you there was i think uh, the numbers from skip were you guys are permitted 600-something vehicles in San Francisco, and in 10 weeks, uh, I think almost as many of that has been vandalized. Yeah, we've seen a lot of vandalism in San Francisco. Um, I, I've seen uh, much better numbers in Washington, D.C. than other markets we've tested in, so I think it's geographic-specific. Um, San Francisco and, is just not a good scooter market, maybe. Uh, no, I, so that I disagree with. Um, I think, again, it comes back to the device. Like, uh, I, I would commend, you know, companies like Jump have done a great job with d designing devices to be left outside instead of taking personal ownership design devices and assuming that they're going to work well in that environment. Um, so, okay, so how worried are you about vandalism one to five? Uh, three. Sergio? Vandalism two. Uh, two with our new hardware platform. What's that? Two with our new hardware platform. With your new hardware platform? Yeah, three. We just added a lock, so we're less worried about it. Okay. Uh, last one, tariffs. Uh, one. Yeah, one as well. Probably two in Brazil, right. one in Mexico, in other countries. But uh, there's things that you can do in Brazil so it can become a one. <laughs> one. One, OK. So this is really just a shortcut for me, so I know what topics to like focus on in the future. Um, uh, OK, so one question that I feel like does not has I haven't seen really any good data on. I haven't heard companies talk about a lot. Um, and maybe it's just because it's too early, but I'm really curious what trends you're seeing around rider churn and how it relates to, compares to other modes. I feel like one big question for the industry heading into the year is 
how many people jumped on a scooter because it looked fun and cool versus how many people are consistently jumping on scooters um, uh, and will use them for their commute and, and whatnot. Uh, Sanjay, what are you kind of seeing around there? Yeah, so uh, we actually lean on about, um, I guess for me now, six or seven years of experience on this with Boosted, which was definitely uh, a very fun product that people kind of graduated from, okay, this is really fun and exciting and novel to, oh, this is actually really convenient for an errand to, oh, this is reliable enough that I can count on it to get to work every day. I think you're going to see the same thing happen with, um, with scooters and with micromobility generally. I think as an industry, we have to earn um, the, the right to serve people at increasing levels of reliability. So moving out of the leisure trip into the errand, into the time-sensitive errand where I'm not, you know, oh, I, I was going to go meet you for lunch, but then I was late because the vehicle didn't work like I thought it was going to or didn't unlock correctly or there was an app issue, you know, pick, pick your problem, to this thing works so reliably and availability is so good that I can use it every day to get to work and be on time for meetings. Um, we have to get there, and I don't think we're there yet. Um, so you'll see some riders churn for that, but um, you know, for the most part, what we see from people is this is faster, this is more affordable, this is often, in often cases, more fun. We see, especially in Washington D.C., people riding. I think someone was very happy, even in I think 12 degree weather, that they got to where they needed to go on time. Um, so I, I think you're you're seeing, frankly, like the effectiveness of micromobility play out in the scooter industry where. As a system, people are saying this works better than ride sharing. This works better than transit for certain kinds of trips, or it augments those trips, and they'll continue to use it. Um, I, li I have one more question I want to go down the line on, um, because I think it's, it's an elephant in the room. Uh, Bird, Lime, Lyft, and Uber are not on this panel. Um, I'm really curious from each of you, among those four companies, who are you watching most closely? Who, if I sent you their numbers, or if I gave you like the most like in-depth market intelligence on this company, you would be most excited to open <laughs> that document. So I'm not asking you who, like who are you most afraid of. I'm curious who you're most interested in. Oh, do I have to do this one first? Yeah. Uh, that's that's tough. I think. Yeah, it would have to be Uber and Jump. You know, I think it's um that the when Uber bought Jump. That I was a little bit surprised in the sense that I really thought of Uber as, as a particular kind of company, and I think when they bought Jump, uh, that they became in some ways a different company. And the, the, A, the bike and the team that they got was excellent, and by putting sort of Uber scale resources behind that, I think that that is, that's, it's, you know, as you know, my theory is this market is so big that we're not really worried about someone coming in and taking all of our riders the way you would in another business. So I think there's plenty of room for everybody, but I have a lot of respect for um, for what is possible there, and I'd be very curious to see what's going on under the hood. Derek? I'm going to cop out a little bit by saying I respect all of them, and I'll be interested in all of them, but really because I'm... We're just focused on what we have and what the resources that we can draw. The question on. wasn't who do you respect, though. It was like, who are you most intrigued by? All of them is industry. I think it's a very intriguing industry in general. Everyone has a different approach to attacking the market. We have our own approach. We have our own resources, our own view and play, and ability to attack the market in ways that they don't have either. So um, that's all my perspective. I'm just intrigued by the entire field. Sergio? It's probably Uber because it's the only one that is in the countries in which we operate. I mean, there's Bird in Mexico, but it's very, very, very small, uh, like almost non-existent. And Lime has a slightly bigger presence, but it, it's not something that we have to, to see every day, unlike Uber that, that is very strong in Latin America. 
Sanjay? Mm. Yeah, I don't have a good answer for you on that one. I would say all of them. Cop-outs. Okay, well then you get to answer this last question because we're out of time. Um, this is a mantle. It's an all-male panel. Pretty much uh, most of the people I talk to in the scooter industry, a lot of, like, pretty male-dominated companies, so I'm not, these guys are up here and it's great, but, you know, uh, they're not necessarily outliers here, but I'm still going to pick on them because they're here. What are you doing to improve gender balance, particularly at the top ranks of your company? Uh, yeah, it's a real issue. Uh, I think, um, no. Um, when it comes to uh, recruiting for our board, when it comes to recruiting for our executive team, uh, we've been looking at this very closely. Um, uh, e even like in engineering, in you know the at every level of the company, this is an important area. Um, like mobility is something that everyone is using. We're seeing a lot of um, like uh, one of the things that we look at is like what is the gender balance between users of different types of products, bikes, e-bikes, scooters. How do people think about safety differently? Um, those points of view need to be represented. And so we've been, um, it, it, it's, it's been um, something that's been really interesting, even for example at Boosted, uh, where we recruited an executive team that you know, was, was balanced from a gender perspective and like, people on the, on the individual teams as well. And you would think for like, a skateboard company that might be something that was harder, but it was surprising just how um, how much better that made the product and how much better that made the whole system work and, and how much better of a company it was. And uh, I think the same thing is needed here and that's something we're looking at. Sergio, anything to add? Um, so I don't know if the percentages are right, but I have nine direct reports. Three of them are women. And our head of HR is uh, uh, a female member. So she... Uh, I mean, one of the things that we're trying to do, especially in the tech side, is recruiting more engineers. One very cool thing that, that, that is happening in Mexico and Brazil is this organization called Laboratoria that uh, is focused on training um, women in engineering uh, that come from uh, lower income parts of society. And we're, we're working closely with them to give opportunities to engineers, but if it comes to at the top level executive, um, you would argue that 33% of our executives are, are women. Derek. I don't know if that's high enough, but... Derek? Yeah, I, I agree with uh, Sanjay that we are, building a we are building transportation means, and that means catering to a diverse audience right now. Um, we are all, we still have to do better. Um, I think we, we are all not sufficiently diverse as a company, um, and it's important for us to to be that way. I think at, at SPIN, uh, we have formed a task force which are actually rolling out a couple of initiatives ranging from um, increasing uh, outreach to women at executive levels and all the way down to engineering policy, down to the individual con contributor. We are also uh, focusing on interview bias trainings and um, just generally a lot of very direct and targeted diversity efforts. But there's a lot more that we can do and we have to do if we're trying to build a uh, product that it's used by every single community. Michael? Uh, Scoot's senior management team is nine people, four of them are women. We, obviously, room to improve there. In terms of how we, can, how we can improve that, I think we're taking a kind of a holistic view. So we think about, we work in garages in, in our business, so how can we make our workspace more welcoming to different kinds of folks? And we recently evaluated a bunch of our job descriptions for kind of the vocabulary that we're using and making sure that, you know, from a particular perspective, 
is this is this the vocabulary that is kind of is is there is there language in this job description that's sort of coded one way or the other? Does it make it sound like this is a job for you know a particular kind of person, or is it a job that could you know a lot of people could sort of read into this job description and see themselves doing? So we're, there's a bunch of of tactics, but I think you, it's not just a question of like where you recruit from. I think it I think it has to do with you know who you are as a company and your culture and your workspace, and um, and we are we're trying to move forward on a bunch of those fronts. Well, next year, we'll do this again. We'll see whether you've improved that balance. We'll see who bought who. We'll see who still exists. Uh, but thank you guys so much for joining thank us. Thank you. Thank you, Sanjay.